Romans 8.28, we know it very, very well. We all know it by heart. We probably know it in many, many versions. In fact, uh, before I, as I was preparing this, actually, I looked up several versions of the Bible rendition of this verse, and it's hard to believe I did not even know it myself. I found 50 versions of the New Testament that gave this verse in a little different manner. Fifty. It's amazing. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's the NASB. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's the ESV. And uh, the verses that I quote out of Romans 8 today will be mostly from the King James Version. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this moment together in your presence. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for the privilege of looking at your word. Thank you for giving it to us that we can look at it and study it and pray over it and grow thereby. Help us as we do this today. We give this service to you and all that transpires that your name would be honored and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This may be one of the most beloved verses in the Bible by you and by many people that hear my voice today and read the bulletin and see, the, see this information here. It's used all over the world, and it's given to believers and non-believers. And our elders felt obliged that we should go through some of these verses in the Bible that sometimes are misused. Please note that word, misused, or applied incorrectly to certain situations. And that is the reason why we are doing Romans 8.28 today. Uh, it's interesting that as we look at this study, I, I will have, first of all, we will have, and if I can make this thing work, and if not, uh, dear, um, whoever runs this thing, are you doing this, Leanna? Well, I pushed it, but nothing happened. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Super. Okay. We want to show we want to show first of all about the precaution that this verse can present. We're not criticizing the verse. We're just showing you the things that happen in the world today. There is a precaution things this verse does not teach. And so let's look at them and go by them one by one. It does not say all things are good. You see how we can, we can read a verse and we can read so much into a verse when it really doesn't say what we think the verse should say. It does not say that all things are good. It does not say that things work out eventually for you. It doesn't say that. And I know I'm being very specific here, but it's very important because this is the way people often read these verses. This verse also does not say this promise is for everybody, even though we sometimes, in our misapplication of the verse, 
in times of great need that people have, sometimes we think that they need this verse, so we say, here is a verse for you. But this verse, my dear friend, is not for everybody. <clears throat> for instance, on the first one, all things are good. Let me just ask you, is war, is death, is human trafficking, is cancer, is agony, is the hurt of hardships or tragedies, global pandemic, divorce, miscarriage, war, earthquake, tsunamis, and you can just add and add to this list, are, are they good? Well, of course they're not. And things that work out eventually for you, it's hard to console a non-Christian with this verse when we know that they are not even on the road to heaven. So we misapply and misuse sometimes this precious verse in the wrong way. The promise is for everybody. Yep, it's really not for everybody. This problem will be taken away. It does not say that. But sometimes when we use the verse to help someone who is grieving or whatever, we may say, well, it will be taken away. But God, and God may graciously remove the problem, but we really do not know this, do we? So to start, we should, we should learn that this verse is not applicable to all people. I'm sure this is a surprise to many people, but we should learn this lesson. The next section will help us understand it better. Uh, in other words, all things work together for good. And one of the better translations, and we are told by many Bible scholars that the one I quoted first from the NASB, that we know that God causes all things to work together is, is a very good uh, rendition of that verse. So we will be using that, of course. So anyway, um, it's, a, it's a very important subject that we have at hand, and I hope that we will learn to maybe after today not incorrectly apply this to people who really should not be hearing this verse for consolation reasons and for solving their particular problem. <clears throat> So the promise, what does the verse teach? You've gone through that, that rigmarole, Ralph. Now let's get down to brass tacks and find out what it teaches. That's, that's the important part. I only wanted to bring the negative part first because that's, we should get that out of the way, okay? Now, the promise, what the ver verse actually teaches. To understand this, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do what we know is right, and that is to look at the context. Do we know what the context is? It's what comes before and after the verse. And I learned something from a Bible teacher, which I really liked. I'm going to quote this for you. He uses the 2020 principle. Now, what do we usually think of when we say 2020? Good vision, right? Real good vision. Okay, well, here it is, 2020 vision is a measure of visual acuity 
It's a ratio that was determined to be the ideal average when it comes to a human's capacity to see. Well, if you apply that biblically to the Bible, it's a good thing to look at 20 verses before the verse that we're looking at and 20 verses after. And you say, oh boy, Ralph, we'll be here all day. <laughs> no, we won't. We will not be here all day. <laughs> so, our Bible teacher that I listened to wisely applied this to biblical study and stated it was good to observe these 20 verses on each side of the verse you're studying to correctly get a good context, and I think it's a very good idea. So, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let's get to it. What does the promise, what does it actually teach? The verse itself that we're looking at, Romans 8.28. Well, let's look at the certainty of this verse. You see the little words that begin the verse? We know. Isn't that wonderful? The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, as he wrote this to the Roman church, he said, we know something. And he's going to tell you all about it. We know. Romans 1.7 uses a very beautiful thought. He says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So we know that as he used the word we, he was writing to Christians in Rome who would understand what he was saying. I love it. Let's look at the cause of this promise. We see the certainty of it in the words we know. Now the cause of it is the word God. Yes, our loving Heavenly Father. Through Paul is giving us here the most comforting word of encouragement that is even imaginable. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. Let's look at the circumstances of this, ver this promise. Notice the word all things. Those are the words, words I emphasize here, all things. It's amazing, dear people, God orchestrates every aspect of our lives into a pattern of his choosing. It is absolutely marvelous. He does this for his glory and for our good. Romans 37, 5 is a verse I use often which says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. <clears throat> I read of an anesthesiologist who made this statement. This is interesting. <clears throat> he said, I have the crucial role in putting patients to sleep and to revive them later. Is that what he does? In fact, he put a little side note. He says, in biblical times... In biblical times, this would be regarded as a supernatural power performed only by Jesus Christ. But now he, as an anesthesiologist, that's what he does. He puts them to sleep and brings them back again. <clears throat> he went on to say, Although the patients may not be aware of my presence during their surgery, I constantly monitor and watch over them not just the operative part, but the entire patient. This reminds me of how our Lord watches over each and every one of us, even though 
we may not be aware of his presence. And I hope this indelibly impresses upon your heart, dear friend, the reality of Romans 8.28 in your life, not someone else's, in your life, how God is orchestrating your life in such a very, very special way. Let's look at the comfort of this promise. We've already been comforted, at least I have. The comfort of this verse, it says, work, work together for good. That's an interesting phrase, work together for good. And you know, you and I know that in our lives, only a sovereign God knows how to do this, how to, how to do this and, and really do it well. I love Philippians 2.13, which says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's look at the call of this promise. We're still looking at Romans 8.28, of course. It says, those who, are, those who love God. That's why it is inappropriate to use the verse to comfort people in certain situations because do all people love the Lord? No, they don't. And so we must not use it incorrectly. God calls all people for salvation. There's a subheading in your outline in your bulletin. There's a general call, and, and we have many, many verses about that. John 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Yes, that's a general call. We have many, many, many verses in the Bible that talk about coming to Jesus to be saved. You, you know what they are. You've read them many, many times. So there's the general call, and then there is the effectual call. And this is a very, very important one because this means when he calls, something's going to happen. We call this the effectual call, 1 Peter 2.9. And uh, uh, Peter, speaking to his audience, says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's talking to some people who were in darkness without Christ. They received the gospel. They received Jesus as their personal savior. And now they're born again and on the way to heaven. This was the effectual call of those who heard the message of salvation. brings us to the conclusion, not of the message, but of the, this part. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.9 says, uh, in fact, the, the conclusion, I should say, you should jo jot down the, the word his purposes that comes out of Romans 8.28. I love that, that part of Romans 8.28, his purposes. Ephesians 1 9, having been born, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, 
which he purposed in himself. You see, God has a purpose in your life and in mine. And Romans 8.28 is working that out. You may not know what it is. I may not know what it is even for my life. But God does. And that's the comfort and the beauty and the consolation of this marvelous verse. And the conclusion of it in our brief study of just the verse, what it says itself. So this is what the verse says. Those, those things that all started with the letter C. Now, now, here we go to Mr. 2020 Vision. Remember the man I told you about? The Bible teacher? So the, um, the context of Romans 8, the whole chapter, is very and extremely interesting. Notice, please. No condemnation. That's in verse 1. I hope you read it carefully or will read it carefully someday. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So you see, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. My dear friend, if you are here today out of Christ, unfortunately, you are condemned. You might ask why. Let the Apostle John tell you why in John 3.18. Please let me read that. He who believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you intend to go to heaven, you've got to get out of the ranks of those who are condemned. And there's only one way you can do it. And that's by receiving Jesus into your life personally, by invitation, by you saying, Come in, Lord Jesus. Save me from my sin. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Prepare me for heaven. That's what he'll do. And you can do that even as I speak right now. You don't have to wait till the end of the service. You can do that right now. And I trust that many will. Oh, how important that is. <clears throat> so they are in Christ, according to verse 1. And there's, there's an interesting thing in verse 9. Dear people, please read it with me. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's speaking to Christians. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, dear friend, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you are not a Christian, you are not indwelt by the Spirit of God and therefore not on your way to heaven. Adoption. What a word. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, 
this verse is telling us that in some some marvelous and way that you and I will never comprehend the depths of it, God has adopted us. He has made us his children. Think of it. God made you, dear Christian, one of his children. Adoption is the act of bringing someone who is the offspring of another into one's own family. And since unregenerate people are not by nature the children of God, they belong to someone else, and you know who that is. But the, the only way you can become God's children is by spiritual adoption. And did you read the last part of that verse? It says, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is not disrespectful. But you, my dear Christian, as a believer, can come to your heavenly Father, our God, and you can call him Daddy. That's what Abba, Father means, Daddy. Not disrespectful. Do it the right way. And when your heart is aching, call out to your daddy for his help in your time of need. What a precious thing it is. Abba, Father. Intercession. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I do not know how many times this verse has comforted my poor old soul. When in times when I thought things were impossible, my Heavenly Father tells me that the Spirit of God who indwells me, he somehow prays to the Father on my behalf. When my words are inadequate, I don't even know what to say or how to say them. The Spirit of God prays to God the Father for Ralph Polson in ways, like it says here, with groanings which cannot be uttered. It is a marvelous thing. What a beautiful recourse we have here in the intercession of the Spirit of God who knows us better than we even know ourselves and knows how to pray for us to the Father. Look at consolation. That's the verse that we've looked at. You already know what that says. Uh, we've already read it many times. Romans 8, 28. It's our main verse for today. God is working things out for us. Do you believe it, class? I'll call you a class because I'm, I'm still a teacher. Um, <clears throat> you ever heard of Johnny Erickson? I heard her just the other night say this, not exact words, but practically. She was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident at the age of 17. We all know the story very well. She went on to say, because of that accident, I have a powerful ministry with disabled people. Boy, does she ever. But now, now, in my 60s, I have cancer, and now I can minister to people with cancer. Who would ever think that she would ever say something like that? She didn't expect it, but she says, now I can help people with cancer besides the ones that are disabled. In other ways, what a beautiful, beautiful testimony. 
Predestination, oh boy, what a word this is, folks. Verse 30 says, Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So these, the words are all in there. We'll bring them out one by one. It won't take long, but it, this is a very interesting word, predestination. Have any of you ever heard of Dr. J. Vernon McGee? I had the glorious privilege of sitting where you are, not in this building, but like you are there. And here I was Dr. McGee, and I got to hear him speak and teach us for four years when I was in Bible college. And I loved what he said about predestination. It's a word that is misunderstood. People misapply it. They don't know what it means. But I just love what Dr. McGee said about it, and that's what I'm going to pass on to you because I think that's all we need to hear. When it says that God predestined, that he predestined us, McGee would say this. He'd look out in the class and he'd say, Class, God is going to see us through to the end. I love that. God's going to see you through to the end, my dear Christian friend. No matter what you're going through, if you belong to him, he will see you through to the end. Beautiful, beautiful words. Here's another one. Calling. <clears throat> verse 30. It's all in the same verse. I'm not going to repeat it. God called us to salvation. Do you remember when you were called to salvation? How many of you can remember when you got saved? Can you remember? Yeah, I do too. It's wonderful. I hope you can. Some could raise their hand today and receive Jesus. Today would be the day. Do it. Justification. What a wonderful word. I'm not going into, into uh, biblical definitions of word here, but you know what justification means. It means that God declares a righteous a believer through Christ. We are declared righteous. Think of it. A sinner, saved by God's grace, he looks at us and says, I declare you righteous before a holy God. What a wonderful thing. Not all of you can say that here today, but if you trust Jesus, you could say it real quickly because it would apply to you instantly as of the moment you said yes to Jesus. Glorification. Brian, this is... This is a great word in the same verse 30, of course. Glorification. Wow. God assures us that we are, did you notice that it's, it uses the word glorified? He's talking to Christians and he's using a word that says it's already done. So when God saved you, it's the same as saying to you, I've already glorified you. Just like you're going to be when you get to heaven. That's how certain it is, you see. What a precious truth from God's word. He put it in the past tense as it was already done. There's one more. No separation. Wow. For I am persuaded. Did you, did you look at this list? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a, what a verse, class. Nothing can separate the Christian from the love of God. That whole list of things is an, an amazing list of words that Paul put together there. And so, the conclusion, I, did I put that on there? I didn't, okay, don't, we don't need it anyway. But the conclusion, this is not written for non-believers. I think we've already made that clear this morning. Uh, it is not written for non-believers. They do not love God, as the verse says. And do you know why we love God? John, the Apostle John tells us in, in, in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. That's beautiful. If you're not a believer, please join us by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you will experience his peace. C.S. Lewis once wrote that there are two sorts of people in this world, those who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says, your will be done. Your will be done. You see, it's either your will or God's will. If it's your will, you're on the wrong road. If it's God's will, he's going to take you to the right place. You're on either one side or the other. If you're insistent on having your own way, God will let you have it, my dear friend, but it will not end well for you. You know that already. I know. Everything that you experience has a good side to it from God's perspective. That's, that's the important part. From God's perspective, number three. Uh, because he is doing it for his purpose, that is, if you are a believer. So that's the precious thing about it. And then number four, the verse, the verse doesn't say all things are good for those who love God. It says all things work together, or God causes to work together for, for those who love, who love God. Thank God for that. My wife, Margie, and I knelt by the crib of our daughter, Joy, who we knew there was something wrong with her. We didn't know what then. We learned many things later. But in prayer, we gave Joy, my nickname for her was Joy Bells. We gave Joy Bells to God. Whatever you want, dear Lord, with this precious little girl, work out your will for us, your will for us, through her, and he did. And only eternity will ever tell what God allowed to happen through her 52 years of existence, not being able to speak nor hear, and the lessons that she taught us were so innumerable, but we will never, ever, ever stop thanking the Lord for how God allowed her to be used in our family to reach countless, countless people in a right way and help them in their lives. And dear ones, you may be going through a problem today that you think you're all by yourself. Please know that's not true. And if you're here without Jesus, 
give your life to him and immediately his will will take over in your life and he will work things out for your glory like it is for the believers now. So I pray that you will do that and may God bless these precious words which is a promise of God to our lives. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for Romans 8.28. Help us, O oh God, to be careful how we use it. Help us to be di use discretion so that we will not mislead people in any way, shape, or form. But Lord, we who are believers, we praise you and thank you today for this precious, precious verse. Thank you for the way that you have led us. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives, and it never stops. And even though as I approach the end of life's journey, Lord, it's just precious every day to see how you're working things out for your glory. Never a disappointment, never a sorrow. Everything is beautiful because Jesus is with us. Help these dear ones today. Help any here without Jesus to make a decision now before it is too late. Do not let anyone, oh God, go into eternity without Jesus. Help them to receive you as their Savior. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.